talking and it don't make sense Tell me what it's all about The truth is stranger the closer you get To the who, what, where, when, how Absurd is the word, guess what I heard Absurd is the word, guess what I heard Guess what I heard Guess what I heard This is Know What I Heard. I'm Jamie, and this is an episode about addiction. I was joined by someone who chose to remain anonymous, so I'll just say that I got to chat with a super cool chick who wanted to share her story about her addiction to drugs and alcohol and other things, and her road to recovery, and what life has been like sober. So here's her story. I uh, definitely appreciate you uh, reaching out to me for this opportunity. I, uh, it's important for me in recovery to speak on my story because it's so easy for me to forget what brought me into recovery. Long story short, um, I had received my second DUI um, back in 2000, end of 2018. And uh, those first few days, I laid off the drinking and my drugging. And I'll get into those details in a little bit. But uh after a few days, my ego was like, well, you're going to get in trouble this time. You know, it's your second offense. You might as well go out with a bang. So I went back to drinking, drugging, and drinking and driving, which got me in trouble in the first place. And uh, right around, it was New Year's Eve, the morning of New Year's Eve, I had, the weekend prior, I had been with a friend and we drank and I was partaking in cocaine and in the wee hours of New Year's Eve, I was looking over like the, the speeding tickets and the DUI charges and seeing that I had blown like a .14 and I had full recollection of that night. And the thought came to my head like, if this is what you blow when you're not as drunk as you like to be, what would you blow if you were as drunk to the level you are satisfied? And that's when I poured out the rest of my drink and I went to bed and I woke up in 2019 um, and I haven't had a drink since. Now, from there, I still partook in my cocaine. Uh, January 11th of 2019 is what I mark as my clean and sober date. So now to backtrack, um, like what led up to my addictions, um, what I consider my first addictions. I honestly, kissing was my first addiction. At a young age, I was all about chasing the boys. Like I wasn't grossed out by them. I wanted to give them kisses. They always ran away from me. And that <laughs> happened for many years. Um, and, uh, and then I found, and again, this is what I see now. I didn't realize this back then, of, of course. Lying was my second addiction. And so, so no matter what, I, I mean, I, I call myself an alcoholic, but I am an addict of all kinds. Um, I, I also joke that I suffer from an addictive personality. I mean, it's not a joke, but I can laugh at it now. Um, growing up, I was bullied a lot. You know, I had a loving family and everything, like, you know, everything was nice. Everything was, I wouldn't say uh, um, leave it to beaver family, but it was a good family. I mean, growing up in the late 80s into the 90s, it was it was what I, could, what I, I couldn't have asked for more. But I was bullied a lot, um, never really held on to many friendships. Like I would have friends in school and we would hang out sometimes outside of school. 
but nothing stuck. In fact, even to this day, there's people I know that I went to school with, but we don't hang out like that. So that's something I tend to regret is not having those friendships formed. But um, coming out of elementary school into middle school, I kind of like I was still being bullied, but I started making friends. And up until this point, I was a really good student, got straight A's, maybe some B's. I was I was just a really good student. I loved to learn. And uh, leading into middle school, it was actually the first day of eighth grade. And on the f- first day, I had been, I got sexually har- harassed and assaulted by three different guys at different times throughout the day. And when it happened, I didn't really realize what had happened. It was kind of like just such a shock. A, to get that attention, and B, like, I just didn't know how to react. And that actually sparked an old memory of when I was a very young child and being sexually molested by a family member um, who was long since gone now. But uh, so having that happen the first day of eighth grade and having the flashback, flashbacks of things being done to me as a small girl kind of made me lose any love and hope I had for people for a good long time. And what I forgot to add before middle school was my parents had gotten divorced. And I'm only rewinding because I had to go back to the whole lying thing is uh, when I was young, I was probably eight or nine. I remember asking mom and dad, like, I think I had probably seen it on TV. And I was like, are you guys going to get divorced? And mom promised they would never get divorced. And then I turn 11 and they get divorced. So that's when the lying started. Like, you're going to lie to me. I'm going to lie to you. I would lie about everything. So that was my second addiction was lying. So then middle school happened and those memories resurfaced. Um, Obviously, I blocked them out for a long time. And when they came back and I approached my father because it was a relative of his, he was kind of in denial about it. It wasn't believed. So then that also sparked me into not wanting to tell people things. So so I grow up being bullied. I grow up then realizing that my parents aren't perfect because before this, like my parents are these great people and they're still great. I I, I exaggerate. But um and then going to family and it being like hush hush, you don't we don't talk about this almost. So as this is going on and I'm going into high school, at this point I'm still clean and sober. And and up until like freshman, sophomore year, I am a straight edge. Um, you should never smoke cigarettes. You should never smoke weed. Like I would hate on people for doing such things. Like how dare you? It's crazy because people always joke that marijuana is the gateway drug. For me, sex was the gateway drug because in sophomore year, I lost my virginity. I started smoking cigarettes and then I started smoking weed in that order. Um, all in like a span of months. And for the longest time, I was like, okay, I'll only smoke weed, like, and cigarettes. <laughs> and that only lasted so long. But uh, I digress. To also get more into, like, traumatic experiences that I've been through. So that way, that way I don't have to rewind every 10 minutes. So in from middle school into high school, my mom was actually battling cancer. Um, breast cancer, to be exact. And it would go into remission. Then it would, it would come back in the other breast. And in two, late 2001, she started feeling sick again. At this point, she was already familiar with what it felt like to be cancerous, if that makes sense to you. Um, and in March of 2002, 
we finally got her from the doctors that the cancer had made its way to her liver. And uh, so, again, at this point, I'm smoking weed. I'm like an avid pothead. I mean, I'm smoking weed every day. Like, I at that point, I don't even know how much I was smoking a day, but it was definitely a lot for a 16-year-old. And uh, so my dad gave me a call and was like, I need you to come to the hospital. And that's when he relayed the news to me. And uh, so I go into the room where mom is, and she makes the joke, well, now you have a reason to smoke weed. Because she was going to die. There was no fighting it. Like, like it, it, by the time they found it, it was too late to do anything. You can't remove a liver. So I told her I loved her. And I walked out of that room. I spent maybe five minutes with her before that was the last time I saw her was her telling me, now you have a reason to go get high. And I used that reason for a long time. Not hers telling me, but her death. And uh, on a crazy note, um, today's the sixth. Five days from now is when she passed. My birthday is the 13th and her birthday is the 15th. So for a long time. This week of March is uh, it can be it can be traumatic. So where we did grow up in a happy home, my dad was a drinker. My mom wasn't. She was adamantly against alcohol. Why she married a drinker? I don't know. That's that's I can't I can't figure that out. But there were many times when dad be coming home late and, you know, she would be like, oh, we went he went straight to the bar Um, So I had this idea of alcohol um, and what it did to families. So I'm smoking weed at this point, and I swear I'll I'll never drink. Like, I was like, once I started smoking weed, I was like, well, I'm never going to drink. I'm never going to do these drugs, yada, 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 all the broken promises. So when she died, um, shortly thereafter, I would say like a year, because I'm 17 at this point. And, yeah, it was about a year and a half at max later where come to find out that the one of the reasons that my dad might have not been in a rush to come home because mom was cheating on him with his brother. So, Whoa. yeah. <laughs> and now, mind you, after the divorce, I was aware that her and my uncle had a relationship, but that I thought that was as far as it went. I had no idea that it was happening way before the divorce. So when that happened and this saint of a mom, this I pitched, I, I painted her as this saint, all those ideas of her came crumbling down you know i remember her telling me you never sleep with a married man you you know she she preached all these things and she i mean she taught me a lot of stuff but like when that when i found out that she wasn't the saint and maybe like i said maybe dad didn't want to be wasn't in a rush to come home because he didn't want to find her with his brother so that's when i went against her and started drinking and when i started drinking like I, uh, I, uh, I would take my breaks because I was again I was an avid pothead more than anything. But sure enough, like I remember getting drunk and sick each time I drank in the beginning and still wanting to do it. And then, like so, I, I'll admit to you now I don't re- I'll, I recall barely anything of my twenties. Um, I I make the joke that. Uh, I did a lot of college drinking, but I just, just, I didn't go to college. Like I did all the college drinking without going to college. (laughs) And at this point, other drugs are coming into play and cocaine's coming into play. And I'm still going by the thing that I'm a, I'm a pothead. Like I just smoke weed a lot. And then I, I occasionally, occasionally partake in these other substances, but then I get arrested for 
marijuana paraphernalia and intent to distribute and all this. And so I, I quit for a little while and my drinking just skyrocketed and other drugs came into play. I was a late bloomer with a lot of drugs. Um, and it's crazy. Cause I remember, you know, like I said, I was a straight edge. I was never going to do drugs. I was never going to smoke cigarettes. Started smoking weed. Okay. I'm never going to do cocaine. I'm never going to do these hard drugs. I'm never going to drink. I started drinking. Okay, I'm never going to do heroin. I'm never going to do meth. I'm never going to do crack. I ended up doing meth now that I said that. Um, all the things, all the promises I made to myself that I would never do, that I would never become this person. So all while this is happening, you know, my relationship with my dad and my sister, I have one sister, blood sister, and like our relationship is strained. You know, they're trying to encourage me to get help. Like I was told to find God. I was told to go to rehab. I was like all these, all these things like, and I was just in denial. Like I'm just a pothead that is a, a heavy drinker. Um, and at this point I wasn't doing cocaine quite regularly enough, but not regularly. And uh, again, my twenties are a blur, but I know my first UI was 2015, which God, that's not long ago. But um, so near the end, and again, it's hard for me to always recall what it, I felt like when I was using and drinking, because when I look back at it now, I have a totally different perspective, but I know that I was miserable. Like, I was miserable sober, and I was miserable drunk, and I could still continue to drink, and I would have the drink in my hand. Why did I pour you? Why am I drinking you? I'd have the drugs in front of me. Why am I doing this? And still take a line. So the end, it got pretty bad. And then I got the second DUI. Um, and that should have been the real kick in the head. Well, like, let's let's get your life in order. You know, I lasted a few days. And I look back because the first time I went out with some friends, um, we had planned to go shoot pool. I used to play in the league. We would meet yearly once we stopped playing league. And uh, they all were aware I had my second DUI. And I was like, well, I'm going to have a drink. And I found myself at the bar like taking two shots back to back and then going back to them, hiding my drinking from them when they weren't going to say anything. Like, who was I hiding it from? You know, like all the dumb things I did while drinking under the influence or even actually even without the influence, because my thinking was so messed up. You know, I, I never knew how to cope with people. I never trusted people. I, I was constantly lying. So it got to the point where I never I couldn't keep up with my lies. So many times someone would say something to me. I'm like, crap, what did I tell them? I don't remember. Like, I would have to play into this facade that I put on. And I could tell you stories upon stories of, you know, just dumb things that I did and bad places I put myself into and people I should not have been with and things that came really close to happening and yada, yada, yada. And so I last drink was December 31st, 2018. I picked January 11th as my clean sobriety date because I know I had hit up my dealer on the 10th and they never responded. So I don't know if I had any on the 10th, but I know that I didn't have any the next day. So that's why January 11th is my sobriety date. It took me five more days to come in to the 12-step program, which I do. I love my Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I tried other programs, but AA is where I found my home. So I go in and you know, it's funny because I had no problem saying, hey, my name is Blank and I am an alcoholic because I had always joked. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, do you want to drink? Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. That was like that was a joke to me. 
And so if you're familiar with the steps, like the word powerless is in that first step. And when I realized, yeah, I am powerless over alcohol and drugs and people and cigarettes and sex and everything. My life has been unmanageable for years upon years. All right, let's do this. Because what I forgot to add was when I, I was facing my second DUI charge and when I came into the rooms, I had the idea that I would stay sober for a little while, a few months, maybe a year, get through court. And shortly after being in AA, I realized that I was actually enjoying sobriety for once and I wanted to be sober, something that I never thought I would say. <laughs> well, after I turned 16, that was something I never thought I would say. But um, it's crazy because now my mind is clearer. I recall things. You know, all I know is to, today I live a life where I'm full of forgiveness and acceptance. And when bad things happen, my first thought isn't a drink. Like, and it used to be that everything would lead to a drink, whether I'm having a good day, a bad day, an okay day, oh, I'm celebrating. It's just crazy. Like, I, I really sometimes get speechless. When I tr when I try to formulate words to fully grasp like how I feel these days, I really can't. Like the words will come to me later when we're off the, when I'm we're done recording, of course. But like right now, sobriety leaves me speechless. I mean, being in recovery has been such a beautiful roller coaster ride, like one of those kiddie rides, because like there are hills and the whatnot, but they're really mild and. I know I'm, I can see it coming or even if I don't see it coming, I don't like overreact because back in the day I was always about reaction. And when it comes to family, like I said, you know, our relationships were strained. And now, you know, my dad a few months ago gave me a key to the house so I could like go by whenever I wanted to. My, I have a key to my sister's house. Um, I actually got to house it for my father and dogs it um, while they went to out of town like, those things wouldn't have happened when I was drinking and drugging. They wouldn't have trusted me with anything. I mean, my sister, for so long, tried to help me and tried not to be the... She didn't want to be a, a burden on me by, like, trying to help me. And the, the fucked up thing is that I did consider her a burden. I was in such denial of how much of a burden I was. Even in those sobering moments, like, those few, those few moments in time in my drinking career where I was sober which mind you would have been a day at max, but uh, she was a burden to me and she was afraid of being a burden on me by trying to encourage me to get help. So I'm so grateful that she and I, we have a beautiful relationship and growing up, our relationship was awkward. And then when mom passed, then that's when we became close. And then we lost that closeness again when I was constantly high and drunk. Oh gosh. And promiscuous and, you know, even before I was living, moved out of the house so many times, like dad and sis wouldn't know where I was. Yeah, I, I uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a very happy person these days. And I still have bad days, but I know how to cope with them. And there are days where if I'm not in the right headspace, that idea of a drink will come back to me or that idea to use. Or something I'll see on TV might trigger an idea or a flashback. And well, that was a good time. Like, no, it wasn't. Like, let's not relive that. Me that's not memory lane. That's like, that's a very dark path for you to even travel, like, 
mentally because I, you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm gonna, there's going to be thoughts that I can't control, but it's a wonderful thing that I know how to cope now. Like, oh my gosh, the raw emotions that I felt in those first few months was insane. I didn't even know half the emotions existed because I had numbed them for so long. I mean, I self-medicated from 16 to 33. And in that 17 years, I guesstimate maybe there was a total of like a, a total of a month where I didn't do something. And that was not consecutive. <laughs> like, um, like I do remember, I recall a trip with my sister where we went down to Florida for a week and I didn't smoke weed at all. I didn't drink at all. And that was like, it was, it was a hard time because like when I wasn't self-medicating, I didn't know how to deal with these thoughts in my head or the memories or the feelings of not being wanted, not being loved. Um, it, the problem wasn't that when I drank problems happened. The problem was that when I was sober, I was miserable and I didn't know how to snap myself out of it. So these days I'm a very spiritual person. You know, I actually like take moments in the morning to kind of like, say a little prayer for myself and, and those around me. Like I was never a religious person. I'm still not a religious person. I'm a very spiritual person, but you wouldn't have heard like half the things I said, said with you today, I would not have said a few years ago. Like I just didn't have this mindset. I wasn't, I wasn't at peace. Like now I have serenity in my life and I know I go back and forth, but like I said, there are those days where I'm not having a good day, whether it's the once a month situation or just a really bad day. Rarely does the idea come back. Well, you know, we'll fix it. A drink will fix it. No, it won't. And I'm grateful that that's the immediate thought. Now, if if the idea comes of a drink or a drug, I immediately am like, no, that's not the answer. We're not going to even humor that idea because I know what it leads to. At times I miss smoking weed. Because what I didn't, what I forgot to add was I had, so I had, I told you how I got arrested for it, and my that's when my drinking really took off, and that was like 2008, 2009, maybe 2010, and I like my my weed intake went drastically down. Um, it ha- kind of went the opposite of how the alcohol was. It used to be that I would smoke weed all the time and have drinks like every weekend, maybe a few times a week, but now it was I'm drinking all the time and I smoke weed maybe once a month. So there are times where because now you can smell it everywhere. People are partaking in it in every state. And I'm like, man, that smells good. I'm like, no, you can't. Like, even going back to that, because that's where, you know, like, the, the sex, cigarettes, weed. That's where it all started. I'm not going to become some nun or anything now. But, <laughs> like, it's just, I know whenever my mind, my ego is like, hey, you know, you can go back to smoking weed. It was like, that didn't do, do you any harm. Yeah, but it led to everything else. Like... So my next stop is I want to quit smoking cigarettes. That's been the hardest, like, honestly. Like, alcohol was tough. I was able to let go of it. I didn't relapse, um, knock on wood. But uh, cigarettes, man, I'm an addict. And what's crazy is that once I stopped drinking and I came into the rooms of AA, I became addicted to AA. Like, to the point where my sponsor was like, you need to slow down. You're taking on too much service work. You're buying too much literature behind my laptop is like every book in the program. Um, Cause I'm, I'm an addict. Like I, I, I suffer from such an addictive personality, like whether it's boys, 
sex, lying, alcohol, drugs, shopping, spending money, playing games on my phone, reading books. I Once I start a book, I won't put it down. Like, I, I'll start a 900-page book and have it done within five days. Like, I'm just – I have that personality where I start doing something, and it's still there. So thank God that uh, it's no longer the alcohol and drugs. Like, I have healthy addictive habits now, um, but they still can be a little bit of a nuisance. I have to set my set myself boundaries so that way I don't go permanently crazy. Like I said, it was a, I usually – I'm so used to sharing in the rooms of AA, like, but that was, like, a really – soothing experience to like just focus on my recovery today like so wow i think that's all i can cover for now but (laughs) feel free to ask questions because i know there's things i didn't touch on so one thing that i was kind of curious about was you'd mentioned the like strained relationship with your your dad and your sister and that they had kind of tried to get you help was there anything that you think that they could have done that would have or did you think you um, needed to come to that realization on your own? If you would ask me, like, years ago, like, when I was in active addiction and uh, alcoholism, there was nothing they could have done. Because um, they tried. You know, they, they begged, they pleaded, they even enabled. I mean, they tried every technique that they could, to the point where my dad actually washed his hands of me. And I washed my hands of him. And obviously, that's no longer the case, but... uh if you ask me now, there's nothing they could have done. It had to be me. Like, uh, and I really wish that, you know, it didn't have to be that way. Um, for me, though, the more they pushed, the more they um, showed concern, the more I wanted to rebel, the more I wanted to drink and use. And uh, and so, I, like, I, I didn't mean to mess with you by giving you the same answer, but it's it's a totally different perspective. Like, they couldn't have done anything back then. I would have got. I would. I would get so angry. I would get violent, not towards them, but violent in a you know just verbally violent and throwing things, but never harm them physically. I. Uh, I did harm them, just not physically. But now, looking back, I'm aware that they couldn't have done anything. It, even if they had forced me into rehab, or yeah, like I said, that my dad did cut me off. Like I wasn't. He's no millionaire or anything, but uh. At one point, I was living out of my car. You don't like the way I live? I'll live in my car. I lived out of my car. My one question was, will you take care of the cat? But uh, in fact, I was in my car today and looking at how much of a mess it was. I was like, like you're living in your car again. Like, <laughs> let's clean it up. Um, so, yeah, they're really, they're, honestly, when it comes to someone that suffers, I, I can only speak for myself, but um, we have to be the ones that want to change. And and if if you are really in the cusps of the alcoholism of your addiction, like the only person that can make you stop is you. And and also with the help of some kind of programs, just other people who do, who have been through that too. Um, I never, I never want anyone to do this alone because it's, it's not fun alone. I try to do it alone. What I didn't touch on is the fact that I tried many times to stop drinking. I tried to quit using drugs. I just couldn't stop. Like, maybe I would last a day, maybe two days, or I would switch up. I'd be like, okay, well, I won't drink until Friday. And then Thursday would hit, oh, it's close enough to Friday. I mean, like, there was no, like, I tried so many times, even before the DUIs. Like, like I recalled the fact that there'd be a drink in my hand. I'm drinking a soda, by the way. It's not a beer. (laughs) 
But um, looking at the drink and being like, why am I drinking you? Why are you even in my hand? I'll, I don't even remember getting you from the fridge and still drink it. But uh, we are the ones that need to want the help. Um, you know, I've heard so many stories where, like, my my husband wants me here. My kids want me here. My parents want me here. Do you want to be here? You have you have to want that sobriety. And sometimes in the beginning, you might not want it. And we, honestly, it was a DUI that brought me into the rooms, you know. So it, so in a way, like, I knew I had to get signs, uh, slips signed um, for court. I wanted to look good for court. And, uh, <laughs> like, it's, it's a damn good thing I did that because if I had waited for the sentencing, I wouldn't even want to know what the charges were. But still, uh, I wouldn't have grasped it. But when I realized, like I said, I read over the DUI papers poured out the last beer lasted like 10 more days doing cocaine and then coming into the room was with the idea again of wanting to stay sober for a little while that's what helped me and i hear other stories where it, they, it takes people a few different times but for me i was a one-nighter i came into the rooms okay well i say one-nighter because the first dui i don't count because i just i went in like a few different meetings got the signatures memorized and Sign my own slips and uh, any who's in. Um, <laughs> but yeah. My next question was going to actually be if someone thinks that they have a drinking or drug problem or if they have a family member that they're concerned about, like what steps someone could take. But I think that that's kind of what you just answered too was. However, I will say if, if, if there is a family member and you know a- approaching them is not going to work. The best thing for you to do is to maybe even go into Al-Anon because then it gives you a whole new perspective on how to approach the alcoholic member or addict member because Al-Anon does cover like all the bases. Um, and, uh, and in fact, I should be a member of Al-Anon because I grew up with alcohol in the home. My dad's not an alcoholic. He just drinks heavy I know that sounds a little silly, but I know he can stop. Me, I put a drink in me, I can't stop. He has a drink, and that's it. I'm like, that's it? You're only having one drink? What's wrong with you? No, um, but when it comes to those who have the problem or think they have a problem, um, that is really up for them to decide. Because in reality, like, coming into a meeting, like, we're called Alcoholics Anonymous for a reason. We're not going to go and boast about, like, if you walk in, people are going to be welcoming of you. But they're not going to be like, oh, what's your name? What's your last name? Where do you work? You know, it's you, you can remain anonymous. And right now with COVID, there are so many meetings through Zoom. Sit there and listen to what other alcoholics have to say um, and other addicts. Because there, there's meeting, there's every 12-step program uh, that I'm aware of is uh, like available via Zoom. AA does not tell you like that you have to have God. It tries to convince you for the need of a God. And I say a God, because people will see that word God thrown around and they automatically presume it to be Christianity or this or that. For me, my spiritual power, my higher power, it's spiritual. It's just like the mother nature. It's the sun. It's the moon. It's those around me. It's love. Um, there's no face. There's no gender to my God. So, yeah, don't be weirded out by the word God. It's not what you think it is. But, yeah, if you want that help, if you're not sure... Like all you can, all you gotta do is just reach out to someone, and you know, with social media these days, it's it can be quite obvious who's sober and who's not. 
Now, me, I do, in the very beginning of my recovery, I was all about posting, oh, I'm, I was, I was, my ego wanted people to be like, oh, good job, good job, you're six months sober, oh, good job, you're a year sober, oh, my God, good job. And I realized how selfish that is of me. But at the same time, uh, three different friends of mine reached out, like, via private message, uh, like, private message, and uh, asked me questions, um, so it's a good thing to keep your eye out for your friends that are sober and going to them in confidence in private and be like, so I think I have what you have. What can I do? And they're going to tell you to go to a meeting. They're going to tell you to read the big book or they're going to tell you to get to a, you know, go to a retreat. But the uh, the first step is just to acknowledge that you might have a problem and like go over like what that problem is because sometimes it's not just the alcohol it's not just the drugs and you just have to be ready to walk in but i i tell you what going in to aa i felt at home this time the first time like i said i i was there just to get my slip signed there was no blah blah blah, blah. but the second time around i literally felt at home i walked in i was early and, like, they wanted me to read something. And I was like, okay. Like, I didn't know how to say the word anonymity until I came into the room. Because that's a tough word when you're trying to read it in front of people you don't know. Um, but, yeah. So, if you have a family member or a dear friend that you're concerned of, it's, you. like I said, there's the option of you attending Al-Anon or reaching out to someone who is sober in hopes that they can reach out to your friend or family member. And then if you are the individual who feels like they might have a, an addiction or, or they suffer from alcoholism, I I thoroughly encourage going into a room of AA. Like, they have Zoom meetings 24-7. Like, literally, there's meetings going on, like, right now. Like, across the world, you can visit. You can visit Ireland via Zoom and hear an Irish accent and talk about alcohol, which is so funny to me because I'm Irish, and that was always my joke. Well, I'm, I'm Irish. I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic, of course. So, anyway, yeah. Yeah, all you got to do is reach out. I mean, I know I want to remain anonymous right now, but if there are people who reach out to you, I'm more than happy to give you my email address so you can give it to them. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely just, do that. Just, yeah. And you'd mentioned, like, you had some stories or some things that kind of have – I don't know if you want to share those. Uh, let's see. Let me think of – because there's, there's a good many, the ones I remember – there's plenty of things that happened that I don't remember that I was told of the next day. I'll actually go more on not a dark note, but something that should have been should have been one of my wake up calls. Um, so at this point, this is definitely mid 20s. I remember I was living with a friend and I was on my front porch and I was near I was in a college town. So there's this guy walking down the street and he asked me for a lighter like to use my lighter. And he walks up and he's smoking a cigarette. and He's like, we start talking and then. You know, lo and behold, it comes out that he, you know, sells cocaine. And I know I've been drinking the night before, and I'm positive I had already started drinking that day, especially if I, if I was sitting on my front porch, then yeah. But uh, I agree to put this guy in my car, go to his friend's house to do something, and then I drive him about two hours away from where I live. Again, I'm with this complete stranger. I've just met this guy. But I was I was untouchable. Like, I was so invincible. Um, and we go, I don't want to go into details of where we were, but we pick up another guy. <laughs> so I'm in my little S10 with two men. 
we're squished in there driving a stick shift, mind you. And, uh, we go like a good, like an hour and a half. And this, like, so now it's been like three hours that the conversation has started and I'm still waiting for the cocaine and it's going to be my money. Like I got out like $200 or something like that. And he was like, well, if we buy this much, we can turn it into this and you can still have this much. At one point we finally get the stuff and it's just him and me, the guy I originally met. I don't remember his name. I, I didn't recall it like the next day, but uh, out of nowhere, he puts a knife to my throat out of nowhere. Like we're just sitting there in the truck and I just, I remember like looking at him and I'm still, I'm invincible, mind you. Like nothing can stop me. Nothing can hurt me. And I look at him and he was like, I just want to see how you reacted. And he pulled the knife away. But that could have totally gone a different way. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so at this point, you know, I had put all my money towards these drugs that he's now trying to like flip. And I have only gotten a little bit out of it. And I just knew it was time to leave. So I'm grateful that someone was looking out for me that day because I could have easily my my dad and sister didn't know where I was. They like I I mean I look back at that day like anything could have happened to me and no one would have known where I was. So that's like a somber note. But when it comes to like drinking stories, I mean there's the ones where I go out to the bar to have a drink, sing karaoke and play some pool what have you and i have the drink and i sing the karaoke and i play some pool and then i have another drink and sing another song and have another drink and sing another song and broken record here but uh lo and behold next thing i know i'm trying to leave with someone from the bar and they're usually married i don't know why i always i was always attracted to the men that were married i don't know why i it's, i i hated that about hated that about myself um Okay, that was like that's just a summary of like almost every night I went out. But um, I'm trying to think of like actually a good time. I guess now that I'm sober, I don't see the fun in it anymore. Like in the beginning when I came into the rooms, like I would share with my other fellows like, oh, and there was this time I did this and this, and it was all a big laugh. And either I blocked out the good memories, so that way I don't you know daydream about what it used to be and how it was like before I became an alcoholic, even though I was always an alcoholic. Wow, it's really hard for me to relive one of those fun nights. I know I did have fun. I will not deny that I did enjoy drinking, but I'm just, for the life of me, I can't think of one of the... Okay, okay, okay. Now I thought of one. Okay, all right. So this goes back to my college drinking, even though I didn't go to college. Um, My friends did, so I would go over to their house. And uh, they're having one of their usual keggers. And I was dating this one guy... We're playing beer pong and I'm playing with my one buddy. Like I've known him since I was like 12 and we're kicking ass in beer pong. I was like the life of the party. I would look out for everyone. I always came with a 30 pack for you and a 30 pack for me. <laughs> like was, Don't you dare touch my 30 pack. I brought you guys a 30 pack. 30 pack is mine. So we're playing beer pong and I hear my boyfriend behind me talking to this one girl. Now, mind you, her nickname was Jailbait. I really hope she doesn't listen to this podcast because she'll know who she is. Um, and he's telling her like all this stuff that I confided in him about. So I just turn around and smack him as hard as I've ever smacked anyone. Like the whole party stopped. Like it was a TV moment. Like seriously, it was like silence because the smack was so loud. And I like turn back to everyone and just play, keep playing beer pong. 
And like, and like, so like for like the next few weeks, like there was an ongoing joke. Don't piss her off. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just smacking the hell out of my boyfriend. That was too funny. <laughs> and I wasn't, I'm not, an, I wasn't an abusive person. That was like the one time I smacked him. I look back and realize how toxic I was. For the longest time, they were the narcissists. They were the toxic ones. They were the ones that drank too much. They were the ones that did drugs too much. They were the ones. And now that I had that clarity, I realized that I also was quite toxic. I wouldn't, I, I, I don't feel like I was narcissistic. But then again, I guess if I say that, maybe I was. But um, I definitely could be abusive. And not physically, but I was abusive with certain exes. And it's, uh, I need to let go of that. Because I was young. I didn't know how to love. Um, I still don't. I'm still learning how to love myself, let alone people around me. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I just totally went on a whole different, I, I just like changed like five chapters, but, uh, with all the things I did and all the people I hurt, um, all the drinking and drugs I did, I actually wouldn't take it back because it actually has molded me into the person I am today. Like all those traumatic events I went through, I wouldn't take them back or make them not happen if I had a time machine because, it actually it's, it's transformed me into who I am today. And now that I'm in recovery and I'm growing and I'm learning how to live, like truly live in the moment, in the now, I this I, I wouldn't have my serenity if I hadn't come into the rooms, if I hadn't been an alcoholic. Now, mind you, I am an alcoholic. I will always be an alcoholic. I will always be an addict. And that's something I'm actually grateful for. And uh what I love is that if I were to die today, I will die with my disease and not from it. So if if you are seeking help, if you are scared to reach out, if you know you have a problem or you think you have a problem and you just want someone to talk to, I mean, the rooms are always open. Whatever self-help program you want and even and even reaching out to like a therapist or a close family member um there's more people who understand than you than we realize. I did not realize how many people were like me because I had a one of a kind story. No one's been through what I've been through. Oh my gosh, I've heard my story times ten. So just know you're not alone. Um, if you are suffering, you don't have to suffer alone. I wish I had known that sooner. Yeah. Now that you're sober, like what are you most looking forward to about the future? Remembering the night before <laughs> when I wake up. No, I look for I, uh, you know, I try not to look too forward ahead um, because in AA, we're told to live one day at a time. However, I do look forward to finally having the courage to do things I didn't do before because I whether I thought I wasn't worthy enough to do it, like whether it was going back to school or, you know, taking some kind of course to to further develop my like already love for restaurants. Like I, wow, I've never been asked that. That's a really good question. I guess I should think about this. No, um, no, I'm, I just, I look forward to living. I look forward to living a nice, healthy life. I mean, I don't know what, what tomorrow brings, but like, I no longer have to, you know, worry about getting sick or, well, I can't say that we all get sick. Anyway, rewind <laughs> that. Um, well, honestly, right now on the docket for me is, personal growth, spiritual growth, 
and and finding someone to settle down with building a relationship with someone and not maybe not even like an intimate relationship just like a relationship because as you, as you heard me say i didn't have long-standing friendships let alone relationships so something i do look forward to is having a healthy honest relationship with someone and continuing to like forming stronger bonds with my family you know like we we're so strong right now but it's like every time we hang out i learn a little more a little bit more about them I've known them my whole life and there's things I never realized until recovery. So getting to know them more, getting to form true, true friendships. Um, I don't know, honestly, it sounds cheesy, but I'm just looking forward to like living and actually living because before I thought I was living the dream. I wasn't living at all. I was, I was lying to myself like, Oh my goodness. So yeah, I'm just, I'm looking forward to everything. How about that? There we go. Because, like, honestly, every, everything everything is out there for me. I could do anything I wanted to because now I have the courage to do so. I really appreciate you doing this, and congratulations on your sobriety. Two years, mm-hmm. right? Two yep, years? Two like, years, just happened. Yeah. So that's incredible. Yeah. And I appreciate the opportunity. I do because it, it means a lot to me and my sobriety that – you know, I just, I, I, there's things that I wish I had known like years ago. Now, mind you, I was supposed to get sober at this point in time. I look back, like if I knew then what I know now sooner, like if I had known AA wasn't this cult, maybe I would have stuck around, you know, like all these little things that I wish I had known. So uh, it's good. Um, I, I hope someone hears it that needs to hear it and, you know, isn't afraid to reach out. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you want to support Know What I Heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook at Know What I Heard Podcast. Follow us on Instagram. If you have any questions, comments, anything at all, send me an email at knowwhatiheard at gmail.com. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, until next time, hey, Know What I Heard.